0: Romans chapter 12, we'll be looking at verses uh, 6 through 8 again, as we work our way through this uh, list of gifts that have been bestowed upon Christians by the ministry of the Holy Spirit, not an exhausted list, a lot of the gifts sort of overlap in what they mean and so forth, so it's, it's more like an illustrative list, it said, for example, this is what the Spirit does, uh, these kinds of things, and we've been working our way through that uh, to see what happens uh, when uh, we come into the body of Christ by faith. Um, if you want to know the subtext of, of what I've been trying to convey these last uh, however many weeks, six, seven weeks, it is that each one of these gifts is a work of the Holy Spirit to make us look more like Jesus. That's the reason we're here. That is God's destiny for your life. you remember we read about that, that those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, to the image of Jesus Christ. That's why you're here. If you ever wake up in the morning and say, I wonder what I'll do with my day today? The answer is, you're going, or you should, try to be like Jesus in all that you say and do. And uh, this, this is an incredible task. It's an incredible challenge. It's an incredible way to live. And it's an incredible way to think of ourselves. To be more and more like Jesus. Now, I find in my life the reasons I'm not like Jesus are manifold. Among others, I'm not like Jesus because I really like my sin too much. Now, I know we're not supposed to like our sin, but if we're downright honest about it, we're like addicts. You know, we're addicted to our sin. We're addicted to our pleasures. We're addicted to our self-centeredness. We're addicted to exalting ourselves. We're addicted to thinking that we really can run our own lives and that it's great to have God in your life when the Bible talks about God being our life. It is not just a matter of, oh, God is around to help me out every now and then. It is that God is sovereign Lord. I exist for his glory. I've been conformed to his Son that the Father would be glorified by the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's, that's what we're about. But I'm, I'm not like Jesus a lot of times because I love too much my sinful life of self. And the amazing thing about the grace of God is God knew that all along. In fact, he loved us so much that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we were in absolute rebellion against God, when we were absolutely rejecting him in every manner conceivable, yet he sent Jesus Christ to die in our place. To take our sin, our rebellion, our love of self, our self-centeredness, to take that upon himself and to experience the wrath of God and the punishment, the guilt and the shame that is deservedly ours, Jesus took that upon himself. And so we are set free from sin by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. In this life, we still struggle with it. In this life, we still have the residue of our addiction to sin. And that hinders us from being more like Jesus. But but as we uh, just focus on him and learn to love him and learn to know him more and more, we, we grow towards him. The work of the Holy Spirit is to reshape and remold us until every day we come to look a little bit more like Jesus. And so our sin really is a hindrance to looking like Jesus. Sometimes it's our hopelessness and despair. Sometimes it's not that... Oh, wow, I don't want that Jesus fellow. It is. I want him so much, but I know I don't deserve him. I want him so much in my life, and I want to be like him, but I know I never can be. And so we look at the task from where I am to where Jesus is, where I am right now in my life, to where God wants me to be in my life, and I see the gap, the distance between the two, and it's very, very easy to become extremely disheartened by it all. What God did about that was he raised Jesus from the dead. He brought his son out of the grave. Death could not hold him. And it seems to me that a God who can do that is a God who can reshape my life and really can bring about his purposes in my life. And so the resurrection is the proof and it's the demonstration that all the hopelessness and despair I have about being like Jesus, God has overcome that by the power of the resurrection given to us through the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I'm not like Jesus because I really don't know what it means to walk and live in a life of glory. No, where we really do honor and glorify the Father in all things. Where everything in my life I realize this has to be given to Jesus. I still have that attitude in my mind that there are big things that I need to give to Jesus and little things that I can handle. There are big things that Jesus is there for, but there are little things that I can pretty much take care of. And I don't realize that my whole life has lived for the glory of the Father. What God did about that was he brought Jesus up into glory. And now he invites us to fix our eyes on things above, to set our vision on heavenly things, not on earthly things, to see things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. And as we study together and read the Word together, as we share together and fellowship together, the Holy Spirit works to give us a vision of the glory of God. That glory that isn't out there somewhere, someday, but it is rather here and now by the power, the work, and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So we are called to be more like Jesus. And the good news of the gospel is God will do that work in us. The Holy Spirit will bring that about. That's why Paul starts out Romans 12 and verse 1, he says, by the mercies of God. He says, I'm begging you, by the mercies of God. That you not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. He says, "I, I, I just want you to get your focus on what God is doing, because that's mercy. And not on what you're doing, because that's works. Focus on what God is doing, because that is the possibility. Not on what you're doing, because that's an impossibility. To focus on the mercy of God. And so he says, I'm begging you by the mercy of God, which you remember... Reflects Romans chapters one through eleven. Do we need to go back and do that again? It would be fun to do it, but okay. But we won't not not this morning. But then when he gets down to verse three, he says, "And so by the grace given to me, I say to you, he says, because it is grace, because it is God's work, because it is." The Holy Spirit working and moving in us to conform us to who Jesus is. Because it is a gift of God. Because it is grace, then you don't have to think more highly of yourself. You don't have to do that pecking order thing. You don't have to do that that deal where you're wondering who's on top and who's not. You can rather... Have an absolute assurance that as you humble yourself, as Jesus humbled himself, that God doesn't lose track of you. And so he says, by by that grace, I'm I'm, I'm just begging him that you would let God's grace work in your life. But then if you come down to verse uh, 6, he says, Having gifts that differ according to the grace that uh, is given to us. And this isn't saying that everybody gets different grace. He's not saying that, oh, well, some people get class A grace. They get class A grace so they get to skate through life and everything will be wonderful and they'll, and they'll have a productive ministry and they'll have, have uh, you know, just a real witness and a testimony. And other people get class B grace, which means they get to be church members. And other people get class C grace, which means they're just going to struggle and suffer. No, grace is grace. The grace of God is one because Jesus Christ is one. And so the the, the grace of God is one. We're all given the same grace. We are all saved by the same grace of God in Christ Jesus. But he says how that grace works out differs from person to person because God is a God who is is able to weave together just a, a beautiful tapestry of his people. A beautiful um, image of who Jesus is by weaving us together with the various gifts that he has given to us. And so that's why he goes on to say, according to the grace, because we're children of grace, we're going to look like Jesus by the mercy and the grace of God. Here, he's given us gifts. Let's use them so we can look more like Jesus. If it's prophecy, let's look like Jesus when we prophesy. If it's, if it's exhortation, let's look like Jesus when we exhort one another. If it's teaching, let's look like Jesus when we teach. If it's giving, let us be generous the way Jesus has been generous towards us. Let us look like Jesus as we go through these various gifts because that's what it's about, to look like Jesus. And it's possible because of the mercy and the grace of God, the work of the Holy Spirit in us. So that's the foundation. You won't understand Romans 12 unless you understand that. That the whole chapter is about looking like Jesus because of the grace and mercy of God. If you don't understand that, you'll think it's a chapter about, uh, you know, a little maxim about how to be happy in life or something like that. And it's so much deeper than that. This is how we get to look like Jesus. That's how essential this is. And so this morning we're going to come to that gift uh, that's phrased this way, that the one who leads with zeal. And and just before we get that, the the word for lead there is not your... um, um, most common word for leading um, the, you know, Greek uh, has, you won't believe this two words for lead <laughs> but uh, the, the word that is more common is the word ago um, and that's, that's the one that we all learn in first semester uh, Greek class, but this word is praistemi, praistemi uh, is a word that uh, the, the picture in it is that you're standing with or before someone You're standing with them, and the idea of leadership is you're leading them along together in fellowship and working together. Uh, Other translations actually translated as aid, assist, or help because it's the kind of leadership that that is uh, vitally involved with the other person and really wants them uh, to do well and so is working alongside of them. It it, it really borders on leadership by example almost, which makes sense. If it's about being like Jesus Christ, then the leadership by example is leading by being like Jesus and letting others see Jesus in you. And that's the leadership, the influence that you give when you have a position of, of leadership. And then he says, and when you lead, make sure you do it with zeal. Once again, the more common word for zeal um, is "zelos." Um, and that's uh, uh, the word, that it's, it's behind our word jealous, you know, God is jealous for you, he's zealous for you, uh, that's, that's the word there. The word here, though, is spunde. Uh, spunde is a, is a word that has to do with being earnest. Um, If you're going to lead, make sure you do it with a full investment, that you do it honestly, that you do it in earnest. If, If I were going to state it negatively, if you lead, don't mail it in. Don't think that you can lead and point others to Jesus by just uh, sort of doing it in absentia or as an offhanded thing or just uh, if you have time left over. He says when you lead and you're going to lead by example and you're going to lead by, by helping others along and looking like Jesus, if you're going to lead that way, make sure it is in earnest that you're invested in it, that you're intentional about it. Because that's how we glorify the Father and the Son. So that's what we get we're get. we talking about when we get to, to reading that, that if your gift, if you are called into a position of leadership, of assisting, make sure you do it in earnest and that you're fully engaged with it. So that's, that's sort of the background for the Scripture. Once again, we're reading the same verses, and uh, um, you've got them memorized by now? You should, I guess. But uh, anyway, we start at verse 6 to 8. Gracious Father in heaven, I pray that you would make us useful in your hands, that you would take our lives such as we are, and by your grace, you would make us capable of serving and capable of proclaiming, capable of helping. Father, capable of being useful in your hands, that your Holy Spirit would work through us to bless the lives of those around us. Father, I pray that you would remind us constantly that we are only useful and only capable when you are at the center and when you are working and when you are accomplishing your purposes. So I'm praying that you would make us useful. I'm praying also, Father, that you would make us diligent and obedient, that you would work great and amazing things by the power of your Spirit in our lives, that you would receive the glory for it all. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Several years ago... um, I was in a bookstore. Um, Some of you don't know what a bookstore is. It was a building where they had a bunch of books, and you could pick one out and and buy it. And uh, we used something called money uh, back then. But anyway, I I was in a bookstore, and I saw a title that intrigued me, and so I bought the book. It was called The Leadership Principles of Attila the Hun. I thought, you know, this is what I need. Uh, Attila the Hun running a church is just about the same thing, so... uh, uh, and. Okay, don't go there. Just, just leave it there. But, it, you know, it was an interesting book, and it's about what you would expect. Attila the Hun, he, uh, he enlisted followers. He gave them a vision. He rewarded their behavior. He encouraged them. Gave them the resources. Gave them a game plan. You know, all, all the leadership principles you expect, except they, they, they were using Attila the Hun, and so these were the leadership principles of Attila the Hun. Now, a year later or two... I was in a round table of pastors. We would get together every so often and uh, discuss things. There would be a topic at each meeting. And uh, one week, the topic was going to be a book that the, the leader of the group had sent out to all of us. And the title of the book was The Leadership Principles of Jesus. And what interested me was the leadership principles of Jesus were exactly like the leadership principles of Attila the Hun. In other words, you can write a book on the leadership principles from almost anybody you want. You just take the basic principles and you try to illustrate them from somebody's life. But what I want to tell you this morning is that Jesus is not a guru of leadership. He didn't come to run seminars on how to lead a company. He didn't come so that he could give people principles whereby they could be more successful. Understand you live for Jesus and you walk in the footsteps of Jesus. Your life is going to be headed where it ought to be. But Jesus didn't come to give us a principle. Jesus came to give us his person. He didn't invite us to apply principles to our our lives. He invited us to set our eyes on the person of Jesus Christ. And so rather than talk about leadership principles of Jesus, which you can frankly get uh, just about anywhere you want to go because that's how it's done. I know that. I looked it up on the Internet. I tell you, it's frustrating when you look it up on the Internet thinking they'll give you a sermon and they don't. But Jesus didn't come to give us the principle. He came to call us into a relationship. And that's what changes us. That's what changes how we lead. Now, some of you are saying, well, that's great for somebody else. I'm not in a leadership position. And that, that may be. I mean, in the church, there are those who have designated leadership positions. You know, it might be deacons or Sunday school teachers, committee chairmen, uh, you know, those kinds of people that recognized leader. And uh, so, although those are the leaders. But what I want to also suggest to you is that you have a position of leadership with somebody in your world. There's somebody that you can come alongside, stand with them, prayishtemi, You can stand with them and assist them and help them and lead them out of where they are to where God wants them to be. As with all these gifts, there are some who have a peculiar gift, but all of us have a responsibility and an exercise of what these gifts are about. So in the positions of leadership, in the positions of influence, and the positions where you have a role of guidance, it might be, it might be at work, it might be in a classroom, it might just be in the home, um, Just you know, it, it, it could be anywhere. But we are called to lead, but we are not called to just apply principles. If you're feeling a little bit drowsy this morning and you're not sure you can make it through the sermon, uh, I understand that, so let me give it to you now. Christian leaders follow Jesus. That's it. We can all go home. John, we're... No, we have to stay here a minute. John's not here. (laughs) Blame him when I go over time. But uh, uh, Christian leaders follow Jesus. It's not a matter of just learning a few principles. But when you follow Jesus, you come to understand certain things about what it means to be a Christian leader, a Christ-focused leader. Sort of like the Apostle Peter. Peter, I suspect, was a successful leader, a successful businessman before he left the boats and went to follow Jesus. You remember the story that uh, Peter was with, uh, with his brother and they were mending the nets and they had a family fishing business and so forth and Jesus came and said, follow me. And Peter got up and he started following Jesus. Well, in, in that fishing industry, it looks like it was a family fishing business in which you had to take care of your inventory. You had to take care of your assets. You, you had to keep the books. You had to uh, make sure that the boats were in good repair. You had to deal with the other sailors and, and payroll and that, and that sort of thing. So Peter evidently was a pretty good businessman and a pretty good leader already. But what happens is that as he walks with Jesus, he is led to see that leadership is much more than just knowing how to work the system to get the job done so that you're so called successful, however people may gauge that. I think Peter had to learn, first of all, that if he was going to be the kind of person that, that he needed to be, he first of all had to keep his focus on Jesus and his focus on Jesus alone. There was that incident where the disciples were in the boat and they were going across the lake and the winds came up and it's sort of stormy. And Jesus wasn't with them in the boat, so they looked over and there's Jesus walking on the water. He's coming at them, walking on the water. And they have a little discussion right then and there about the metaphysics of walking on the water. And, uh, and so Peter calls out and says, Jesus, if that's really you... Bid me come. And Jesus calls his bluff. He says, all right, come. You know, you come on. Now, we've got to give Peter a lot of credit right now. He gets up and he steps over the gunwale onto the water. I don't do that. Jesus, I was just speaking, speaking figuratively. It was just a metaphor. I didn't mean to be taken seriously, but no. So Peter steps onto the water. Now, both feet are on the water. I don't know what that looks like. What does it mean to walk on water, you sitting there? (laughs) And he starts walking towards Jesus. You couldn't do that. You couldn't do that. But then he starts to look around, he starts to look at the waves. He starts to realize this doesn't make sense. He starts to look at all the reasons why what Jesus asked him to do can't be done and he starts to sink and he mentions that to jesus He says um lord sink in uh, here water uh can you help me out here a little bit and so jesus takes him and brings him back into the boat and so he's now in the boat and this is how you know that jesus wasn't teaching leadership principles he did not say peter at least you tried He didn't say, Peter, I'd first like to commend you on your effort and how well you did and the fact that you got a few steps towards me on the water. I would really like to commend you, but now I'd like to do some improving on the aftermath. That's good leadership principle. Jesus didn't do that. He looked at him and said, you have little faith. Sort of his pet name for these guys. You little faith guys. And Peter came to understand That faith means focusing on Christ, having your focus on Jesus and on Jesus alone. If you're in a position of leadership as a Christian, as a believer in Jesus Christ, keep your focus on Jesus. Because when you're focused on Jesus, it'll be a lot harder to focus on the irritants. When you focus on Jesus and the way that he loves us and his grace for us, it'll be a lot harder to focus on the way other people are not doing what they ought to do and you need to set them straight and, and those kind of give them a piece of your mind as if you could spare it, you know, and all those other kinds of things. By focusing on Jesus, Peter is focusing on, where, on what really matters in life. These other things will take care of themselves. But he had to learn, you focus on Jesus, you don't let anything else distract you. Peter also had to learn that when you're walking with Jesus and you're trying to be like Jesus, you've got to be committed to God's plan. You have to be committed to God's plan. You remember at uh, Caesarea Philippi, Jesus asked the guys, he said, "Uh, Look, um, who do people say that I am? They said, Well, some folks think you're one of the prophets, Elijah, you know, uh, John the Baptist, come back. It's all over the map, Jesus. And then Jesus asked him, he said, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, again, to his credit, he says, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Peter, you nailed it. You nailed it. And not only that, you didn't figure it out yourself. My Father in heaven told you this. You are really in sync with where you need to be right now, Peter. And oh, by the way, let me tell you: as the Messiah, as the Christ, I've got to go to Jerusalem. They're going to arrest me. They're going to mock me, scourge me. They're going to kill me. I'm going to rise in the third day. And Peter says, "Whoa, wait a minute, Jesus! You weren't listening in synagogue school. You forgot that Messiah comes to kill the Romans. He doesn't come so the Romans can kill him. Messiah comes so that he can be exalted. Messiah doesn't come so that he can be shamed on a cross." Jesus, I think you need a little bit of help on your eschatology here. Here, I've got the charts. I've got the diagrams. Let's go over this again. Jesus says to Peter, he says, Peter, you do understand you're acting a lot like Satan right now because you're not thinking the thoughts of God. You're thinking like like a man thinks. See, Peter thought his plan was better. If you're going to be a Christian leader with your eyes focused on Jesus, trying to be like Jesus, it means what is God's plan now." I don't know if that, if that applies to what is your business plan for expansion. Will you buy another warehouse? Will you set up another, another store? Will you, will you hire more employees? You know, and, and that, That's not what we're talking about. Here's the plan of God. That wherever you are, the Father would be glorified through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. Wherever you are, that, that's the plan. That the Father would be glorified. And if you're planning something and leading a, 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 in, in a situation and you're leading to some place that's going to be really successful but it's going to leave out the glory of God, even exclude the glory of God, you're going to the wrong place. You're going to the wrong place. Because a Christian leader follows Jesus, and Jesus was on his way to the cross because that was the will of the Father. And so Peter needed to have that kind of focus in his mind. It's not the only time it happened on the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, This was an occasion where Jesus took uh, three of his disciples up on a mountain, and while he was there, uh, it says he was transfigured. And and what that means was um, the glory of God just shone out from inside of him and out, and it was just a brilliant light. And uh, so the the glory of God in Christ was being just made manifest on that mountain. And while he was there, it says that Elijah and Moses were also there, and they were talking about things to come and and all that. And when it was all over, Peter says to Jesus, Jesus, you know, we need to cash in on this. Why don't we build, I learned in King James, three booths. Why don't we set up three pavilions? The Jesus pavilion, the Elijah pavilion, the Moses pavilion. And this would be really great. Uh, We can have a concession stand over here and a gift shop over here. This will be the best Christian retreat center we've ever had. Jesus, we can cash in on this. It'd be a really great thing to stay here. And Jesus said to Peter, who, by the way, had a great business plan, says, Peter, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what you're talking about because you've left out God's plan. You've missed the point. And that's when the voice from the cloud says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Peter, don't listen to yourself. Don't listen to your, to your gurus. Don't listen to the, the world. Don't listen to what you think is right. Listen to Jesus. Because what we have to learn is that it is God's plan for his glory that matters always. Peter had to learn to love the people i 'm um, sure he was a right nice fellow, and got along with a lot of people and all that, but he had to learn the, to love the people the way Jesus loved them. Uh, y- you know The disciples were always doing this kind of thing. Jesus sent them out once on, on, on like an advanced trip he, he sent them out two by two, and they were supposed to go to the villages ahead of time and cast out demons and and uh, proclaim the coming of the kingdom and sort of, sort of advance men to get the town ready for the coming of Jesus. Uh, into their midst. And so they, they went out and they did all that. And then they came back and said, Jesus, this was really great. We performed miracles. We cast out demons. It, it's, this has just been fantastic. And then they said, but Jesus, there were a couple of towns that wouldn't receive us. There were a couple of cities that kicked us out. Do you want us to call down fire and brimstone on them? Huh? Huh? Do you? Do you? Huh? Wouldn't it be nice just to fry them a little bit, everybody else get the message? Wouldn't that be great? It's a great, it's a great leadership principle, you know, fry your enemies. But, <laughs> But Jesus, they rejected us. Shouldn't they be punished? And basically, Jesus said, no. No. You're missing the point, guys. Because the Bible says about Jesus that he saw the people and he was moved with compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He was moved with compassion because they didn't know where they were going and they didn't know how to get there and they're bound to wind up nowhere. He saw them and he was moved with compassion. He loved them. The Bible says that the Father, God, loved us so much. He sent Christ to die for us, gave his only begotten Son. This is how God loves people. He doesn't love them with a, with a conditionality of, well, I'll love you if and when you ever measure up. He says, I love you now and I love you for where you, for where you could be. And that's how Jesus loved the people. Peter had to learn that. I think he did eventually. But you have to learn to love the people that way. Sadly, most of us are still into the thing where there are enemies in our lives. There are some people who are not worthy of our love or our attention. They're sort of like Malchus. Who's Malchus? He was a servant of the priest who at the Garden of Gethsemane, when, when, the, when the soldiers came in to arrest Jesus, Peter, being the leader that he was, drew out his sword and cut off the ear of the servant of the high priest, Malchus. <laughs> now, this is a great thing to do. He's standing up for Jesus. And Jesus said, well, Peter, again, I think you've missed the point. And he takes the ear and he slaps it back on and, and heals him. And this is before the days of crazy glue. So, I mean, this was like a really good <laughs> But Peter had to learn, he had to learn there's nobody outside the orbit of God's love and nobody outside the orbit of of your requirement to love them the way Jesus loves them. doesn't mean glossing over things. Jesus had a lot of things to say, things that people did wrong, but he never stopped loving them. And so Peter had to learn to love the people. One of the other things Peter had to learn was that worldly success can kill you. It can kill you. Remember the time uh, Peter was in the boat and uh, he was fishing out with the other guys, and Jesus shows up on the uh, on the shore, and uh, Jesus says, "Have you caught anything?" "No, we haven't." Jesus, thanks for asking. And Jesus says, "Cast your nets on the other side. Just, no, just cast your nets on the other side." And so they do that. They they fish off the other side of the boat and they start hauling in fish fish like crazy. I mean, it, 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 it's so many fish. And, and now Peter's a trained fisherman. He's a businessman fisherman. And he's thinking, this is great. My retirement account is really set for life now. I mean, he's, he's got this worldly success coming into the boat and he keeps hauling it in and the boat starts to sink. And that's the point at which he realizes this worldly success is going to cost him his life. And when he gets to Jesus, he says, you've got to leave me, Jesus. You've got to depart from me because I'm a sinful man. I'm a sinful man. And he came to understand that success isn't measured by the world's standards, but rather it's measured by that relationship with Jesus Christ. And did you make him known? Did you make his glory known, his love, his compassion, his grace known? Did you make Jesus known by the way that you lived? the last thing I want to mention is that Peter had to learn that he just wasn't up for the job. He just wasn't up for the job. I have a lot of of admiration for the guys who are like really good leaders and they know it. They're not just good leaders. They have blogs where they tell you they're good leaders. And they'll charge you money for them to tell you that they're good leaders and how they do it. Great admiration for them. I don't think I have enough nerve to do that. But... Uh, What Peter had to learn was, no, you're really not up for the job. Because Peter at one point, he said, Jesus, I don't care what they do to you. You and me, simpatico, we are together, man. I don't care what happens. I'm going to stick with you. The others may cut and run, but not me. Jesus, I'm going to be there for you. Jesus said, well, Peter, thank you very much. I appreciate the sentiment, but I'd like you to know you're going to deny me three times before the sun comes up, before the cock crows. And sure enough, during the course of the evening, while Jesus was undergoing the mockery of a trial, three times Peter said, I don't know him. I, I, I've never had anything to do with him. Three times he failed. It says after the third time he went out and wept. He wept because he suddenly realized, I'm not up to this. I'm really not up to this. I can't handle it. But oh, the love and the grace of Jesus, who after the resurrection told the women, he said, go tell the disciples and Peter, Be sure and tell Peter. Peter's feeling awfully blue right now. you got to tell him. you got to tell him there's more hope. It's not over. We're just getting started. You go tell Peter. But he had to learn that he wasn't up for it. And that's that's really where we are. We're not up for it. You know, to make Jesus known, to live out for the glory of God, to to manifest the love and the grace of God in in all that we say, we're really not up for it. I don't know about you, but occasionally, um, I'm tired, and I don't have the energy to do the right thing. And it's it's just easier to, to fly off the handle. You know. Sometimes it happens. Not often. But, uh, you know, we're not up to the job. But the marvelous thing about the grace of God is that Christ is up for it. And he never quits on us. And he's always using us and and always, you know, just embracing us and calling us and challenging us and moving us forward for his sake. So Peter learned he wasn't up for the job, but Jesus Christ is. So Jesus never taught his disciples leadership principles, but he sure taught them a lot of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And when you follow Jesus, you become a leader. You become a leader as you lead others towards Christ. If anything, if you want to know what Jesus taught his disciples, he taught them this after the resurrection. He taught them, he said, look, here are the nail prints of my hand. Don't ever forget the cross. He said, here's the scriptures, and all of them apply to me. Never forget that God has been at work all along for his glory. He said, I'm going to breathe on you to receive the Holy Spirit, and you're going to have power from on high. And when it comes upon you, you'll you'll just preach my name all over the world. He promised them the Holy Spirit. And then he said, now you go out. You make disciples. It's an amazing thing. After everything they'd been through, Jesus said to his disciples and to Peter, I trust you with the greatest mission on earth because I've given you the Holy Spirit and I've taught you to have you focus on me. So Christian leaders follow Jesus. And my challenge for you this morning is going to be a lot less expensive than last week. Okay, It's just not going to cost you as much money as last week's challenge did. But my challenge for you this week is that when you find yourself in a position of influence, a position of leadership, when you find yourself in a position where you're going to influence the life of another person, I just want you to stop and pray. Lord, how can I look like Jesus? All right? Let's pray together. And, Father, I do ask that you would open our, our minds and our hearts to understand more clearly what it means that Jesus is Lord of our lives. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to, to see better and better every day, that every venue belongs to you, every relationship belongs to you. Father, I pray that you would open our hearts to receive the work and the power of the Holy Spirit to know that all that you command is not just possible, not just doable, but it is a joy to have accomplished in our lives. Father, I pray that for your glory we would have our eyes fixed upon the Son and that by the power of the Spirit.